0: Thank you for listening to the Spectrum Lounge. If you enjoy this podcast, please support us at patreon.com backslash film underscore NYC and be sure to subscribe to the Spectrum Lounge. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. <laughs> What's wrong, Bert? You're doing that thing. What thing? Did I Stop it. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you gonna pick a fight with her?
1: Please don't get all political on me. No, oh, she's cute. I might learn a thing or two. Hey. Hey. Hey, Noah. Bertie. How are you? How hey, are you? And you are a bartender. <laughs> I can be. Yeah? What are you drinking? I take whiskey.
0: Alright. So are you back in Israel? Yeah, yeah. My brother married a French guy and then Valerie just said I could come, stay here for the rest of the summer, yeah. just work on some paintings. Okay.
2: I promised myself I won't get too drunk tonight like last year though.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Last summer at the one of Valerie's party, I got I got a little too crazy and Bertie here saved my life. Mm. She's good at that.
0: Hi, welcome everybody. This is Rebecca Theodore Bichon and you are watching a special edition of the Spectrum Lounge. Uh, today we will be reviewing the movie *Ma Belle, My Beauty, written and directed by Marion Hill and I am joined by a good friend of mine, Craig. Hi, Craig.
2: Hey, Rebecca. How are you?
0: I'm good. I've been looking forward to this. One of the great things about having a podcast is I can invite whoever I want.
2: Well, so. one of the cool things about having friends like you is that they have podcasts and I get to be a <laughs> Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> no, actually, what's really cool is like yeah. when you have friends that you have conversations with all the time, like texting, is that the other?
0: Yeah. And
2: then now you get to bring these conversations that you and I have anyway wow. to like a group of other folks.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with my bow, I think you had sent me an interview. I think you had sent me a, an article about it like in April or May. So you were like, you know, this is something that should be on your radar. It's centering mm-hmm. a black, poly, queer woman. And I was yeah. like, yes, <laughs> definitely yeah. want that. So, yeah, so I was um, I was lucky enough to reach out to the studio. They sent me an uh, online screener. We both watched it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I wanted to get your views on it, too, because you got some very strong and definite opinions about non-monogamy and polyamory in the Black community. Um, so I guess we'll start out, again, My Belle, My Beauty. Um, is going to be released this Friday, uh, mm. limited release, I believe. So just check your local listings to see where it's gonna be shown. Um, and basically the movie is about uh, centers, again, a black poly queer woman named Birdie. She's a jazz singer, I believe from New Orleans. Um, she's living in the South of France, living it up with her jazz musician husband. And uh, things get complicated when her husband invites her ex-lover, Clearly the three of them were in a, some sort of triad. Well, I'll say a V, they were in a, a V. v. Yeah, yeah, they were a throuple. Um, and so uh, the husband, I guess, Bertie is going through some sort of existential crisis. Like she's having uh, a creative block, emotional block. So he comes up with the brilliant idea. Hey, let me invite your ex-girlfriend who broke your heart to try to, you know, re-motivate mm-hmm. you to get back in the game. Cause he, as we'll speak, each of them have their own motivations when it comes to Birdie. But I just wanted to start off by getting your initial thoughts and opinions about the movie. What did you think about Yeah,
2: Listen, uh, first and foremost, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was really well done. Um, And more so than enjoying the film, I appreciate the film. I appreciate that uh, Marion Hill is telling a story um, that needs to be told. And there are many stories that need to be told. Uh, on the big screen in the mainstream. And, and and it's very rare that we get a chance to see various ways in which people can love and connect with one or more people. And I thought this the, the movie did a really um, good job artistically. Um, the storyline, the plot, the characters, the, the acting, all of that was enjoyable in terms of the senses. I mean, it was beautiful to watch. Um, and you felt good. You felt sadness. You felt um, all of the emotions that you would want to, and, and kind of a, a, a romantic story, really is what this is. Um, but I also just appreciate its importance in terms of the overall canon of movies and the stories we tell about um, how you can love and, and and how you can receive love. And so, one, I just think they took some some really um, some really important steps, and we need to have more of them in terms of telling some of these stories. Um, and then one of the things I'll just say just off the top, um, the story, although it is about a an open relationship, I mean, it, it, at least we understand that it was an open relationship. There was a poly relationship at some point. When, when we start the movie, it is not a, a poly open relationship. Uh, Fred and, and Bertie are married. Mm-hmm. And what we best know is a closed monogamous relationship. And, and, and so it becomes over time that we understand that there's some, it was once open and maybe they're opening up again, but I don't think the intention um, of, of the movie is to advocate for polyamory or open relationships. Um, and in fact, I don't remember Rebecca them using that, the word um, poly no. or anything in the movie. Right. So
1: no, they don't. Yeah.
2: So, and so in that way, I, I would say it's also really important that the film is told in a way that's not about advocacy. It's not about, let us teach people about, polyamory or different types of relationships. It's like, let me tell you about a story of human beings who love each other and they're dealing with their own shit and dealing with each other and trying to figure out how to navigate that in a way in which, and Marion talks about this in an article that you and I read, um, her goal in in this movie, she says she just wants everyone to find a piece of themselves in it. And yes. so in that way, Mission Accomplished, I think this film wonderfully provides an opportunity for everyone, regardless of where you are, what you believe, what your experiences are, have been, to kind of see yourself in some way in this film,
0: but um, no, you're you're hitting up on on certain points because, um, it, to me, I feel like you know, with a, a lot of the um, the the talk about Oscars so white and inclusivity and representation matters, right? Um, and so we're we're fighting for more representation of Black people and Latino people and Asian Americans and Minas and um, Native Americans. So we're we're starting to see. Some right. movements, uh, some more than others, right? Like Shang Chi is yeah. coming out next month, finally first age of superhero from the MCU, all of that, and so in the conversation, um, I do feel that at least for me, I feel like polyamory and non-monogamy is like going to be like the final frontier. <laughs> like yeah. all those, all that representation, especially of queer people, is 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 important. Um, I do feel that. Um, we still live in a very heteronormative yeah. and it's very monogamous, right? Um, like, I feel like with a lot of romantic dramas and comedies, the, the the script is you're supposed to find your your prince charming. There is that one person, yeah. your soulmate, right, that will complete you. And once you find him, you know he's gonna look like Idris Elba or Aldis Hodge, or you know what I mean, particularly for Black women. Like, and, and I, I'm gonna. I think for the purposes of this one, we'll talk specifically about Black poly, right? And the representation of yeah, Black romance. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, um, I think we are, I think as a people, we are very invested in the images of Black love. And there's a specific reason mm-hmm. for that because for the first 400 to 500 years, we were robbed of that, right? We came here, uh, we were brought here as slaves against our will, right? Our sexual yes, agency, right. our freedom was taken, our sexual agency was 100%. taken- yeah, you'd have slave masters that would be like, well, he's this guy is six three and she's five nine and she's got big hips and Breeders. so mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I mean. So let's Sexuality have.
2: Sexuality was a breeding process for us. Yeah, and
0: and and yeah, you're right. Yeah. And
2: and, that, and that, not only that, and then even post slavery, where you were treated and as cattle and, and effectively bred as cattle, then right. you were fetishized and your sex, and then we were, you, you know, and 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 so we were. You know, our sexuality was demonized. And so we've never really had agency over our own stories, our own narratives. The narratives yeah. have always been created for us. And so I do think it's, we're very, we're going to always be very sensitive about these stories being told in a way that in which we feel are authentic and and true. Amen. But I think it's also just going back to this film, if there's anyone, if, if you're black and brown going to watch this film, hoping that it's going to speak to the layers and the complexities and the nuances and the needs um, and the diversity um, of, of love and the way we love in our community, whether it's like explicit and, we, and it's known and it's part of kind of the, the African-American black myth or not, you're not gonna find that here. This, this film does not even begin to, to wrestle and deal with that, but it does touch on race, gender, sexual orientation, class, Um, And I do think uh, Birdie's character um, as a, you know, African-American Southern sister, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I watched her. I loved her, by the way. I'm like, I love this woman. Birdie, hey, I'm here, you know. (laughs) But her character is a woman. We know her. You know Birdie. Birdie's your sister. She's your cousin. She's your soror. She's like, you know this. She's someone you dated. So in some ways, although the film does not really even begin to address the need for us in our own um, communities to see what healthy, non-monogamous relationships can look like, um, it does start, I think, the conversation, all right? Okay. And I think Bertie's a good person to start it, but you're absolutely right. There's still, there's still a lot that needs to be done before we can really say we're, we're having that conversation.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it was, I liked Ma Bell. Let, let me, let me say what I liked about the movie and the things that I kind of struggled with. Um. Okay. Number one, I am always here for seeing black women joy. And I think particularly now in light of this pandemic and political upheaval to just see this black woman living freely, right. And living life on her terms. I think that's really important. And just, you know the depictions of black women and in, in, you know traveling internationally, being in Paris or France, wherever it is, is very rare. Um, right. So I like for the wanderlust in me that it was hitting all the spots. I was like, yes. The, the yeah. cinematography was beautiful, um, yeah. gorgeous, and you know these kind of roles don't usually come to black actresses. Not these type of nuanced, complicated, messy. You know what I mean? That usually we have sure. to be like the Claire Huxtables. You know what I That's mean? And, we, and we're like the magical negresses who know everything. You know what I mean? Right. And, and we That's don't right. really, really engage in our sexual agency. We're, we're taking care of other people and not a, of ourselves. So I, I do love the idea of uh, the representation of having this Black queer poly woman. Um, so that I was like, yes, okay, I can definitely see myself and Birdie in those areas. And the actress, Adela Johnson, I'm in love with her. I have a crush on her. I'm ho- I'm trying to get her on my podcast. We're working on that. Um, but I just, I, and I agree with you, like she brought this authenticity because I think the actress is actually from New Orleans. And just to see like her brown skin and her kinky fro yeah. and the accent and her frying mm-hmm. fish. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it felt yes. like home.
1: It was authentic.
0: The, it was authentic, but on the other hand, these were the, some of the things that I was struggling with. It was sort of like the drop of chocolate milk, drop of chocolate and milk. Like it, like yeah. she was literally the only black person in this movie throughout the, I was texting you while I was watching. I was like, there's gonna yeah. be some black people, right? And you were like, don't,
1: no, no
0: spoilers, spoilers. There's no other spoilers. black people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was
0: like, wow, no other yeah. black people except this woman. Which, okay, that's fine, but I wish that they had addressed that in the movie, because I'm just imagining being a black woman, and this movie was was shot before the, the pandemic. So let's say this movie takes place, I don't know, 2018, 2019. You're telling me that this black woman leaves New Orleans, right? And I'm not saying she owes anything to anybody, but I mean, we're, what, Black Lives Matter started in like, what, 2013, 2014. 2018, 2019, we were just coming off of Philando Castile and all of these other things. And I just, I was just sort of like, if I'm this black woman that's surrounded by all this whiteness, I'm gonna have some questions or a a certain feeling or a certain conversation, right? And cause the other thing too, is that both of her partners her husband and her ex lover, um, the woman, her ex lesbian lover are white. And there's not one conversation about race in this movie. Not one. I'm not saying they needed a deep, heavy conversation about that, but at least a mention of like, hey, babe, I'm like the only Black woman here. I'm the only Black person here. Like, yes, you have a Black woman that is the lead of this movie, but I just felt like, I just felt like if Birdie, at least if I if I relate to Birdie and if we're similar in certain ways, I feel like I would be having conversations with my white partners about like, why would yeah. you take me all the way from black ass New Orleans and put me in the middle of this <laughs> very <Yeah>. white <laughs> place? I yeah, don't
2: know, what, sure. what are your thoughts? I You know, listen, I, there's a part of me that just wants to imagine that there was, for the sake of editing, that they cut out a piece of the story when they were in New Orleans, a very black city with a very rich black history. And, and you get the sense that that's the world that she comes from. Right. Um, You know, at the very beginning, Um, as they're, you know, kind of uh, working through a song, you know, tell me you love me. And she's like, I don't like this song. You know, this Mm -hmm. is, this is not my voice, right? Like, and and you almost feel like in some ways there is an implicit conversation about race. Um, It's not explicit. The implicit conversation is she's away from her community.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: she now is in this very isolated place, you know, um, and, 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 and people see her, N- not for who she is, because there's a point where she's like, you guys think you can just give me pills and I'm, and that's going to make my depression go away. I'm going to be able to sleep. You actually have not taken the time to get to know me, like who I really am. Right. And so in many ways, you know, as we think about um, the way Black people were, you know, welcomed as artists and, and, and performers in France in the early 1900s, this was a place where Black people were in many cases, welcome not because they were appreciated as humans, but they were appreciated as great performers. And so there are scenes where Birdie's walking through the town, and people walk up to her and like, oh, you know, Birdie, sababiano, you know, and, and they're yeah. having these conversations with her. And there's one point where this this uh, you know elderly lady says that you know the music that your your husband was playing made me think of Django or something like that. And, and there was there's this moment, yeah, interesting. There there are moments where you kind of get the sense that even although she's not performing because it becomes clear she hasn't sang for six months mm-hmm. that, that she's still being kind of fetishized in town as this kind of muse and this kind of unique, you know, kind of person mm-hmm. who's kind of picking fruit in the market and like, and, and, and hoping that she'll come back and perform and be amusement for us.
1: Mm-hmm. First and foremost,
2: I don't doubt that her, you know, character husband, Fred loves her. Let's just assume that there really is authentic, genuine love, but it's clear that mm-hmm. he's invited her ex girlfriend here in some ways because he's trying to get her out of her funk so that they can go on tour like I need you to perform I need mm. you yeah I need you to be this 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 thing that I fell in love with who's going to sing with me and we're going to be the you know the cool happening you know kind of you know interracial
0: jazz couple
2: <laughs> and so and so there's this kind of like I need you to be this thing for me Right. And mm-hmm. then we understand that his relation, that her relationship with with Lane, um, you know, there's there's images and pictures and reflections of moments when they were happy. But that, that you do to kind of get some sense that there was, you know, that that relationship also was somewhat abusive. Right. Mm-hmm. She was using um, Birdie in, in a way and, and not, you know, kind of investing in that relationship. She left, you know, mm-hmm. without explaining. She left. She didn't come to her funeral, her mom's funeral. She didn't come to the wedding. She mm-hmm. didn't show up like she really cared about this person um, right. in, a, in, a, in a deep, meaningful way. Meanwhile,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Birdie is like showing all this love and care. She's attending to Lane while she's there visiting. Um, she's making sandwiches and like mm-hmm. being the, you know, the perfect hostess for a husband when they're having their jam sessions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and but meanwhile, um, depressed because we, we, you know, we, we think she's, she's lonely. She's mourning the loss of her mom. She's 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 feeling alone in this otherwise world that's not her own. Right. Um, she doesn't even speak French well, as as we we kind of understand. So this is really not her world.
1: Yeah.
2: And um uh, and, and and although, you know, many of the depictions of Polly that are not healthy, where there's just this guy's got all these women and this, that, and the other. Um, and I think it was great to see a V relationship where she was the hen, she was the you know, it it, it really wasn't a poly cue. Fred did not have a relationship with Lane. So there, so we, we were able to understand and appreciate those relationships very uniquely where mm-hmm. she really was a center. And I think that was great. And that was positive to be able to see that. Yeah. But fortunately she was in two unhealthy relationships. Um, yes. Anybody, when you see this film, you know, you're going to love Birdie, you're going to love her character. And then you're going to find yourself, particularly if you're, you know, a black person, you're going to say like, I'm trying to understand what is it that she sees in these people? What is she getting out of this? What are they giving to her? and do I think it is worth? Like, do I think this wonderful gym is worthy of these, um, or are they worthy of this, of this gym? And you kind of find yourself in, in that, you know, kind of mind frame of just thinking through the dynamics of that relationship. But, right. but the thing that probably annoyed me most was I kind of felt throughout the film that this is a person whose fundamental needs were not being met in either relationship. And she was being used and, yes. you know, um, to some degree. And then ultimately the way, you know, all, all of them are troubled in some ways. I mean, Lane mm-hmm. is, she's, uh, you and I have talked about this, you know, she is a, um, she's a lesbian woman who obviously has, you know, dealing with trouble in her own life, inability to be stable. She's mm-hmm. kind of moving from relationship to relationship. Mm-hmm. She's, ca- she's still trying to find herself. We don't know how old they are in this relation in this um, movie. They're probably in their thirties. It looks like maybe late twenties, thirties, kind yeah. of given where they are in her life cycle. And she's still trying to figure out what she wants to do. And, and kind of moving from host to host. Right. Yep. Um, you know, there was this kind of conversation that she and Birdie have about her, her ex, like, you know, I told you she was crazy. Why'd you stay with her? But she was a host for a moment. Birdie was a host. And then you kind of have this sense like that you know, that, that in the movie, she kind of, in an effort to make uh, Birdie jealous, um, mm-hmm. you know, starts to really show love and affection and start spending time with this Is- Israeli woman. Um, and even that feels like she's moved on to another host. Um, and, 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 and I think her name is Noah is so excited yes. about her, but mm-hmm. she has no idea that her mind is really someplace else. Her mind is not even on her. And so unfortunately, um, we now have seen the spin cycle. Birdie was a part of that spin cycle before
1: mm-hmm. and lane. This
2: very troubled person is really now moved on to another victim. And that's really sad. The only saving grace is that at the very end of the movie, it looks like, like Birdie may have found her voice. Yeah, she's singing again. Yeah, and you know, and even though she's acknowledged that Lane is going to move on, um, she says, "I'm going to go tour. I'm going to go sing. I'm going to find my voice," and and that gives me hope
1: mm-hmm. that
2: her character, despite being in this this really interesting V relationship, if you want to call it that, um, has found some peace. Yeah, and maybe is moving on.
0: Yeah. Um. I agree with everything that you're saying because um, going back to something that you said earlier about depictions of poly and non-monogamy that, you know, TV shows and movies don't necessarily have to be polyamory 101, right? Like they don't necessarily have to be. And I think that's the one thing that I I liked about Marbella is that it was already established. Like this was the relationship that they had and like, like they didn't even really use the word poly or uh, triad right. or V. They didn't use any of that. I think there's a conversation between Lane when she first meets Noah, the Israeli soldier and Noah is asking her, she was like, well, like, what is the situation with you three? And then Lane breaks it down. She was like, "Well, wow, I was in a relationship with Birdie, but not Fred, right? So that's the V, right? Like, Birdie is sort of like the apex or whatever. And so I like that it wasn't like, it's not like a uh sort of like oh this is how we became poly or whatever it's already been established it's in the past and whatever so i like that and i think that's like the queer part of the movie i could relate to the poly part of it wasn't quite clicking for me um Mm -hmm. and you said this earl i'm gonna cop to it um the relationship between Birdie and Lane, I just didn't get it. Like, I was just like, I don't even understand why this woman was with her. Like, Lane is terrible. She is a terrible person. She is the most yeah. Karen. The most Karen of yeah. lesbians. She just yeah. came in yeah. with this entitlement and selfishness, which is probably why B- Birdie broke up with her.
1: And, yeah.
0: But to me, it's like whenever you watch movies about triangles, right, or three people, I feel like the best depictions of triangles is when both partners, right? Or potential love interests are equally compelling, right? Like I should I should be watching and I should be torn. Should she be with Lane or should she be with Fred or like you know what I mean? But from the get-go, I just didn't like Lane. I was like, get rid of her. <laughs> and, 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 and to be honest,
2: people people who, who understand this stuff understand that it also wasn't ethical. There so yeah. like the whole so that right, because one birdie did not consent to fred inviting yeah this woman into her house right. what the expectation that mm-hmm. there was going to be intimacy in relationship he already planned like what well, she's going to live here he so, picked so, so out he, he
0: picked out his own wife <laughs> so so
2: he, so, pe- so people would understand that one there was some consent issues there there was also so so when you think about Ethical non-monogamy versus mm-hmm. unethical non-monogamy. Like, there, people understand what non-ethical non-monogamy is because well, that's what a
0: law is. Can you break down to us what ethical non-monogamy means? What does that mean?
2: Yeah, it's a great question because mm-hmm. these terms are used so loosely and very few people, even people who think they know what the terms mean,
1: mm-hmm. oftentimes
2: don't. And for sure, lots of people reference them. Have cartoon bubbles that pop over their head, and they imagine what these terms mean, but they really don't. And when you kind of demystify it, um, you realize, like, oh, that's actually something I kind of get, or I already kind of instinctively knew what it was. And by the way, I'm not an expert. There are people like Esther Perel, and there are books like Ethical Sluts and there are lots of like more scientific, more you know, kind of academic ways of describing it. But for me, yes, you know, Re- Rebecca, let's let's zoom out a little bit, right? And let's okay. let's think about kind of the relationship taxonomy. It, you know, starting from a place that most people don't understand. Mm-hmm. So and if you think about an umbrella, you have mm-hmm. monogamous relation, relationships and non-monogamous relationships. Okay. All right. We understand what monogamy looks like. We know what that is. We don't need to get into whether it's good or bad or right or wrong. Progressive. We just understand what that is. Then there's non-monogamy and within non-monogamy, I think you have ethical non-monogamy and mm-hmm. unethical non-monogamy. So let's just be super clear. Most people who are not married in monogamous relationships or not in exclusive relationships with a single person, meaning they're dating and I'm seeing guys and I'm seeing girls or whatever, you're just out here living your best life, you're probably seeing multiple people. Uh you're going on multiple dates, you know, maybe there's some people in your life that, you know, you kind of like, but maybe they're not, you don't like them enough to take them home to, to mama, daddy or whatever. But, but there are a lot of people who actually don't think of themselves as non-monogamous, but they really are right. Yes, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and, but most people are not ethically monogamous because they're not being honest, meaning, Hey, I'm dating three or five people, but the three or five people don't know that you're, That they are one of three or five people or you're dating someone and you really uh have no intention of marrying them or taking it to the next level escalating it and you're never clear about what your intentions are and so in many ways there's a lot of relationships that are unethical or there are people who are married and they cheat or they're in relationships and they cheat that is unethical meaning no one is consenting in that relationship what we're talking about rebecca is ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy means that there are two or more consenting adults who agree on the form of relationship that they're going to have with each other. There's a social contract that they have with each other around what they will give to each other, what they expect from each other, what are in the rules, what are outside the rules, what are in the boundaries. And there's a wide range of relationships from casual and transactional to long-lasting intimate integrated you know integrated finances family all of that and so really there's a big spectrum and when we talk about polyamory as for example that word poly and more multiple loves meaning that i have you know more than one loving relationship doesn't necessarily mean marriage
1: mm-hmm. doesn't
2: necessarily mean that this is somewhere you're going to be with for the rest of your life but you have more than one loving relationship with another human being um yeah. And, 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 and all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is like, hey, maybe you have a relationship with one person, but you guys have an understanding agreement that you can still date and see other people or have casual experiences or have other, you know, kind of types of relationships outside of your, your kind of core primary relationship. So that whole spectrum and everything in between is what, 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 what I think of is ethical non-monogamy, meaning I have had a conversation, I am transparent. I have consent and it's mutual in terms of the relationships I'm going to have in my life and, and vice versa. Um, and then obviously there's a whole kind of sub, you know, kind of s- series of relationships within poly there's solo poly there's kitchen table, poly there's, you know, closed poly there's poly cues. And for the sake of this conversation, I don't think it's <laughs> necessarily helpful um, to go into all of the different permutations that, you know, people could, um, you know, at one point or another desire and find themselves in because at the end of the day, it's at whatever group of people decide they want to have. Maybe kitchen table, which means all of my partners can sit down at a table. We're all friends. They know each other. Doesn't necessarily mean they have a relationship with each other, but but it's lots of transparency.
1: Closed.
2: Yeah. Hey, it's just us and we don't allow anyone else into our, our relationship. It's just, you know, us. And so, you know, the whole idea is going way, way back up to the top is that you have monogamy you have non-monogamy mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who already are non-monogamous just by virtue of not being married and dating right. the question is whether or not you're ethical about it
1: mm-hmm. are you
2: communicating are you intentional are you transparent do you have mm-hmm. agreement and consent from the other people who are involved in your relationship and that really is the ecosystem that we're talking about and that right. is the ecosystem we're talking about in this
0: movie yeah the um, but so let's talk about like the unethical things that went on in this relationship, because like we said, this movie is not really about a poly one one movie, right? They're not sitting you down and be like, this is, but here, we're your guys. We'll tell you in this movie, what's right and what, 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 what is good and what isn't right. good. Right. So let's start with Fred inviting Lane over. To the outside person, they might be like, "Well, I don't see the problem. I mean, they were lovers, right?" And clearly, Lane still has feelings for her, and Birdie has feelings, you know, for for Lane. Well, so what was unethical about that? What mistake did Fred make in doing that? Why was it unethical?
2: Well, the, you know that there, this is unethical in the in the broadest of sense. This is, you know, his life partner. He's married to this this woman. Mm-hmm. He's married to Birdie. And he's keeping a big secret from her, which is I am manipulating and sneaking behind her back, um, to, to, reintroduce someone who actually really hurt her, um, mm. you know, Lane hurt birdie. There's, there's, there's trauma there, right? Yeah. There's trauma. And, yeah. um, and, and kind of has an, alone can fix it type of like, I'm just going to, you know, kind of like without consent, without kind of consulting with you, without talking through, without understanding where you are. I'm just going to do this and I'm going to do this in a way that isn't transparent. I didn't, I didn't get consent. Um, and, and it's not so much just like, Hey, stop by for dinner, um, on your way to the train station, you know, to go to Spain, it's like, and maybe you'll come live with us. Right. So he's making some big assumptions that not only impact him, but impact someone else.
1: Um,
2: and, and that is wrong. and, And, and for, for reasons I think most people would understand, um, and, and even after, you know, his, his wife, Birdie kind of confronts him. Like, so he, so the first wrong would be, I did this thing. I did said thing, which is invite her. And now I realize that was wrong. And you're angry.
1: Mm. He
2: continues to push it. Right. He doesn't like, right. you not know, have a check-in. Let's let's check in and see what's the right thing to do. He's kind of like, give it time. You'll like this, you know? So, uh, which is a, a a big problem with ways in which people think about Polly traditionally, you know, kind of the stereotypes with the man at the the V or the hinge or whatever. And mm. and the interest between the two women is really for his gaze and for his amusement and for his enjoyment. Like, let's see, see the women get together. Um, don't worry, you'll <laughs> like You know, like this whole idea, like, don't worry, you'll like it, you know. Um, and, and there's something about he's assuming um, that Birdie's going to enjoy um, Lane, he's gonna love her, he's gonna want to be with her and, and making assumptions about what your partner wants or needs without talking to them, without doing check-ins. Um, yeah. that continued to to really make that problematic mm-hmm. as a relationship. And then and then I, you know, um, uh, I mean I think kind of the ongoing part which was unethical was that you know we begin to understand through this conversation between Lane and, and Fred that he really wants that relationship rekindled so that birdie will be in a good headspace, emotional space to go tour with him. So, right. So, so there's another kind of double cut there, which is like, Mm -hmm. I would love to say I'm doing this because I think you're grieving. And I think this is going to be healthy and good for you. But the reality is I'm doing this because I want to advance my career. Right. I've got these, I've got these, you know, my manager and I've got the band and I've got these tour stops. that are all expecting you to show up. And I don't think you're going to show up and sing with me unless I can kind of way fix you, right? Right. Uh, so the entire way in which he goes about, um, you know, kind of addressing his wife's alleged needs, um, mm-hmm. his assumed needs that she might have, I think are, are, are really problematic on a whole lot of levels.
0: Right. You know what? It, it just us having this conversation, like especially that part of. Fred trying to fix her, right? And and it's like you said earlier, it's this this idea of they need they need uh he needs uh Birdie to produce, right? To do to, to mm-hmm. start singing because that gives them money or whatever. And what that makes me think about, and this is why I say like when with the colorblind casting, that when you cast a black woman in a role, you've got to think holistically of like how right. the optics are going to look and certain. Uh, relationship dynamics, how that looks when the person is a black woman and your partner is white, you can't have this, oh, it's just relationships, it's just, it's just humanity and it you know, that's just, and no, it's not because I'm thinking about two instances, right? We're thinking about Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, right? Mm-hmm. Two black women athletes that, you know, let's start with Naomi Osaka. She was supposed to, you know, finish, what was that? The French Open? I, I forget which one it was. Um, yeah. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. And, off, yeah. Right. And so she came out, and she was like, "I will not be doing any press conferences. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna play, right? I've, I'm an athlete. That's what I'm here to do. But these post-game interviews, I'm not doing it anymore." So she was right. like, "I'm, I'm fine." And the backlash that she got from that was just—it was the misogyny. It was misogynoir. But because she's black and a woman, it was like well, how dare you? Uh, you're so entitled. You're so spoiled. How, I mean, the woman was already there to play the sport. She's just saying, I don't want to speak to these reporters because I've seen some of these press conferences. A lot of these reporters are horrible. They're racist and they're sexist, right? So she's protecting her mental health. And she was like, I don't want to do that. And then it became so bad that she just dropped out. And then that caused a whole other firestorm, like, oh, how dare you, right? Yeah. So it's this whole idea of women having to produce right and mm-hmm. to, to prove their worthiness to have a space in this world right and then a right. couple of months later now we see simone Biles, where she's like and we know the reason why is because i think the medication that she needed the olympics were like no you can't bring that into japan so without the medication she was just like i can't i can't perform i can't produce and so she was like i'm not going to and then we saw the same exact How dare you, black women, how dare you black women say that you don't want to perform for us, right? And this right. is a you know, and that goes to the history of blacks in sports, not just women, but men too. But that's, right. that's what I was thinking about when I was watching my Bell is this manipulation of this black woman where Fred wanted her to produce in a creative way, right? Where it's like, I need you to sing so we can go on tour. And then Lane, on the other hand, is wanting her to produce in a like the emotional labor. I want mm-hmm. you to love me. I want you to love me. I want you to pay attention to me. I want you. That's right. And clearly, this woman does not have the emotional bandwidth for any of their nonsense. But they didn't care. You know, and
2: I mean? not, and not only that, Rebecca was so foul. Um, is that you know, uh, Fred tells Lane, you know, to bring back these sleeping pills.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, just bring these pills. Right. Like we're like. If you can't fix her by just loving on her, then I mm-hmm. will will get her drugged up. The kind of this throwback to Lady Sings the Blues and Billie Holiday, yes. and like the way that mm-hmm. you know black musicians, particular of the, particularly of that era, you know, were medicated um, and and you know and many of them got addicted to drugs just by virtue of kind of the stresses of that performance and, and the the culture they were in. But mm-hmm. but anyway, that was that was something really shady where he was just like, you know, let's we're gonna give her some drugs. But the other thing, too, you know, at the end of the movie, there's this kind of scene um, where, um, you know, Lane tells Birdie Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: this gets into unilateral contract versus bilateral contracts, multilateral contracts. Because there's some there, there where she says, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I need all of you, Mm -hmm. you know, like at Mm -hmm. this point, they start to rekindle the relationship and and, you know, and Birdie is starting to kind of. The ice is thawing. She starts to feel vulnerable again and starting to say, maybe I could have a relationship. Let's see where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And then Lane kind of springs this on her and says, "You know, yes, we can do this,
1: mm-hmm. but only on my
2: terms, which is I have to have all of you, which could mean leave your husband. It could mean like, yes. I, it's not really clear what she means by that, mm-hmm. uh, but it's clear that Birdie realizes in that moment that she can't give more than whatever she's giving at that moment. And so this kind of ultimatum, mm-hmm. uh, unilateral contract, which is like on my terms, you either accept it or you don't. Um, right. That is also not ethical, right? Because the, you know, if if someone is forced into a situation, um, or, or they don't have the ability to negotiate those terms, that's not ethical, and and so that's a problem. And 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 the fact that you know Lane kind of rides off into the sunset with Noah kind of reminds us that that she felt really entitled. Like it's my way or no way, Um, and you know, she
0: was a Karen. She was a lesbian Karen. You know what I mean? And and I think that's important because it's like it's this idea that, you know, and I'm gonna be clear here that the way that white women can be harm can be harmful to black women, um, and women of color, and particularly in this context, they were in an intimate relationship. White women can still enact emotional violence on Black mm-hmm. women and women of color, even if that is their partner, their romantic partner. And it was just so infuriating to me, how like, from what we understand, Lane just disappeared. They were they were in this relationship. The three of them were, you know, it sort of like mm-hmm. in this uh, throuple and then Lane just bounced and just disappeared. And like, I can't even imagine what it's like for somebody that I was in an intimate relationship with like my mother's sick and dying and you don't even give me a phone call, not a text, not anything to be like, hey, how's your mom? Do? Or, and to not even show up at the funeral, even if you're not talking to me, even if we're no longer romantic partners, what Lane was showing was a conditional type of love, which is very toxic, right? Whereas like, even if you, you know, even if you and Birdie had not been speaking for a year, you still show up for the people that you care about. And clearly she did not do that. Um, right. And yeah, and and for Fred to bring this woman back into Birdie's life, that's another form of violence. Like, like you said, like she hurt Birdie in a really awful way. And Fred saw that. It wasn't like they were in a relationship when Lane left. So Fred witnessed all of that. And that's for you right. to think that that was a good idea to bring the person that emotionally harmed me to... They
1: were both awful. <laughs> I, I, there, there's, actually,
2: there, there's actually something else, Rebecca, that, mm-hmm. you know, as you're, as you were talking, it re- reminded me of this really subversive kind of competition between, you know, you never, you really healthy metamore relationships um, are supportive and understanding of each other. You mm-hmm. know, maybe in, in in a a V relationship, you know, there's a schedule. Hey, I see partner one on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and partner two on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, and you know, Sundays I have to myself whatever, but there's this kind of understanding and and maybe, you know, in healthy relationships, if someone, you know, their schedule is off and I need to swap a day or can we accommodate this change? Like healthy metamore relationships are like, Oh, absolutely. I understand. I want you guys to be happy. It's compersion. Mm -hmm. I really get happy um, knowing that the person I love, is um being loved and experiencing love from someone else, which is mm-hmm. there's some there's a there's a line in the movie where, where they talk about that. And I thought that was really appreciative, was really yeah. cool when Lane says, you know, how could you not love the person who loves, you know, you know, the person you love? Right. But we we learned that, that there's some tension there, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you know, when Lane leaves the relationship um, you know, kind of unexpectedly uh and birdie says you never came to check in and you didn't come to my to my mom's funeral she says you know but fred forbid me he did not allow me to reach out so so she oh. yeah so assuming that was true
1: okay
2: um, that that would be foul right if if, if you're now your partner is like, you can't see her anymore. Like don't reach out to her. And it Mm -hmm. could be like, we don't know. It could be because she's still grieving and she's hurting the presence of you would like hurt her more. So we don't know if that was like, because he was trying to keep him, keep her for himself Mm -hmm. or if that was in some ways, you know, because he was trying to protect her. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do know is at the end of the movie, when she says, I need all of you, meaning I can't share you with someone else that is not a healthy kind of metamore relationship. So again, in this movie, they're, they're not, they're not trying to like model, like what is quote unquote good. They're Mm -hmm. just modeling humans as flawed creatures as they are in the way they in all these different types of relationships. Lane is very selfish. She's very um, Mm self-centered and she brings that. And, and unfortunately uh, Birdie is very loving character, um, you know, is very giving and Mm -hmm. she's with two emotional vampires who really are sucking her dry. Uh, Not emotional vampires. emotional vampires. Check out that book. It's you probably never <laughs> oh seen my, it in your that's, life. A, that's actually a book. It is a book. Yeah. Oh my
0: god, I have to read it. I have to read it. Yeah, but I think um because you and I, when we talked about the movie afterwards, and you said that uh, where you were like one of the things that you liked about the movie is that you could see yourself in each of those characters. You were at one point you were Birdie, at one point you were Fred, and at one point you were Lane, um, and. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, "Well, usually the things that we hate, or that you know, usually things that we hate, it's because we see it reflected in ourselves." And That's so, right. like, I'm yeah. thinking of, like, I'm like, "Okay, I can definitely relate to Birdie." Have I been pre- Fred at some point in my relationships? Definitely. It's harder to say that I've been.
2: you probably been lame too, <laughs> don't you? Probably been lame too,
0: right? I think so. I think what, I, definitely. I think, and I think. But I think this is this is why cinema is so important. That's why art is so important. Because right. if you have perfect characters, you're not learning anything from that. It's like having flawed and and nuanced characters is a really great mirror for yourself to kind of work which, these things out. Yeah, which is
2: which is why I love listening to your podcast when you're talking about Marvel characters and we talk about Marvel characters versus DC characters. The reason why yes. I love Marvel characters is because uh-huh. they're all flawed. Uh Peter Parker can't get the girls in high school. You know, Wolverine is like trying to wrestle with being an animal. I mean, like, you know, you can like Captain America is like the only character that's like, I don't know if I really know a lot of people like that. But everyone else, (laughs) everybody else, I kind of know someone like that, you know, Um, whereas like, you know, the the super friends. I mean, like the the the, uh, DC characters are a little bit harder to relate to. But you're right. Like great Uh movies. Mm-hmm. They tell sto- they tell stories of real people,
1: yeah, and they
2: tell stories um, of people that you can relate to, and mm-hmm. and oftentimes that they really do it right, and mm-hmm. and they can disarm you in a way in a movie where you don't even realize that they're showing you yourself, right? Uh, and you have to like so I, after that movie, to be honest with you, I had to mm-hmm. check out some pieces of Lane in me and just be like, Woo!
1: wow, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm
2: like, um, I, yeah. I don't like. You know that there that there's a se- there's a little bit of selfishness in there that you know mm-hmm. that you don't feel like itself. I mean, I'm sure she didn't think she was showing up as a selfish person, of course but so. the way <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what entitlement is all about. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um,
2: but uh, but you know, I, I I think that was one of the cool things uh, about the movie is that you know you really can see hopefully some parts mm-hmm. of of you in all of them.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I, and and but I think I that, is, that is an important tenet in polyamory and non-monogamy is the fact that if you, um, if you're if you're you're investing your happiness and you know based on the status of your relationship or the status of how many people you're seeing or not seeing, um, you're gonna have some hard times. You know, like that's something that I'm still wrestling with. Like me being with someone or not being, it doesn't determine my worth as a person. But we live in a society that tells us that all the time. You turn on the television. Right you go to the movies and they tell you and particularly if you're a woman if you're a woman of a certain age and you're not married and you don't have a man you're just you know what i mean and god forbid if you're over 50 and you're past childbearing age so you're not fertile you're not young you're not you're basically of no use you know what i mean mm, and so that's yeah. why this 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 pressure for women oh i got to get married before i'm 40 i got to i got to have some kids I, and I'm not saying that women don't want to have children. Of course, there are women who have a natural need to be mothers. But I'm wondering how many of us, when we sit down and really think about it, our romantic motivations, uh, our need to get married, like how much how much of that is really us, right? Particularly if we're looking for a monogamous relationship, how much of that is really our personal desire versus what the world and our culture is telling us that we should do that? Um, That's and- right. Yeah, and so, but I think this is why we need more movies about polyamory and non-monogamy, because I just want, like, particularly as a black woman, I just want us to have more options. I don't want black women to feel that you have to get married and that you have to have children. That, you know what I mean? Like one of my favorite people is Tracy Ellis Ross. Tracy Ellis Ross is like, what, 48, 49? She is living her best life, okay? (laughs) She is Mm -hmm. unmarried. She is doing it. I mean, yes, she has and She has money. She's an actress. That's true. But I love the fact that she's never bemoaning the fact that she's single. Like, her IG is just like, oh, I went to Monaco one week. Oh, I went here. Or I did this. Right. So I'm just like, yeah, I, I like that. And, and, and unfortunately, we don't even have movies that depict characters like Tracy, right? Like, her most right. famous role, ironically, was playing Joan Clayton on Girlfriends. And Joan was like this neurotic... <laughs> woman who was obsessed with marriage she had like a three-month rule like i don't have sex before three months like she was just very controlling and it was like and tracy is the total opposite of that and i wish that we had more depictions of women like tracy like you can be unmarried and happy like and you especially know, it's, if,
2: it's, yeah well you know it's it's, it's funny it, the most recent time magazine cover shows um, the cast of Star Trek from, you know, the 60s or 70s or whatever. And it was interesting mm-hmm. how, um, I, I you know, I was at CBS and I was about to check out and I looked down and I saw this magazine cover and on it, you know, you've got Captain Kirk standing in the center, you know, square chin, perfect, like, ding, you know, like the classic, you know, perfect guy. But it was interesting while they were kind of modeling that, you know, the Star Trek Enterprise leadership team was a black woman, an Asian man, who I think, you know, <laughs> an alien, Dr. Spock. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how there was a time when movies sometimes would tell us stories about a world that we don't live in, Mm -hmm. tell us stories about um, things that are surely possible, but we haven't yet come to realize that, including different relationship types, different ways. And, you know, uh, I mean, we've never seen a like superhero, like, you know, Black Panther mm-hmm. until we saw him on the black screen.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: ironically, that comic book came out in the 60s, as you probably know. And so we, we've right. been telling stories about the future. What I think is interesting about now post-COVID
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, is that people are not waiting for films. They're not waiting for media. They're not waiting for institutions to tell them um, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Mm. Um, people are really starting to be moved um, to, a, I think, a very individualistic way of thinking about their own version and brand of happiness which i it's not happening on mass for sure but i think we're moving yes. into that season um you know we, we probably grew up you and i are around the same age mm-hmm. um where we were given a formula you know mm-hmm. you go to these schools you get this type of job you get married you have 2.5 kids and you get a white mm-hmm. picket fence the house and then eventually move to the suburbs you retired the end right, right. Um, and you're doing your best to like live this formula because you've been told that if you live out this formula you will be happy Mm-hmm. And many of us are now realizing there isn't fulfillment. There isn't happiness in that script and millennials and, you know, the, the you know, kind of the digital natives and generation Z and those kind of coming next, I think, are starting to to have permission, giving themselves permission. The institutions are giving them permission. The church mm-hmm. is not giving them permission.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: families aren't saying, you know, dear child, mm-hmm. you can go out and be non-binary. People are okay. saying, I don't want to fill in any of those boxes other um, or I don't want to be in that type of relationship just because my grandparents weren't it. I'm going to go define love. I'm going to define what professional success looks like for me. I'm mm-hmm. going to define like people don't feel the need to buy homes. They're the shared economy. So like there, there are many things that, um, you know, have the suggest that we no longer group think happiness. Like group yeah. think meaning like let's all get together and let's agree on what happiness. And mm-hmm. then we sit around at the, the table and we keep reinforcing these norms. And today, people are kind of like in their own—I think more than in the past—in their own spaces, saying like, "No, who am I authentically? What is my authentic, you know, kind of need and and version of happiness? And I don't really need anyone else to co-sign on it. Right? Um, it's nice to have a thousand likes on your picture on Instagram, but for the most <laughs> part, I think more people than not are like, "I'm going to go do have the experience, whether people like it or not." Right. And I think that's a good thing, um, even if the mm-hmm. movies aren't telling the stories yet.
0: Right. So here's the question for you. Why do you think, because I, I mean, we're talking about the depiction of Black poly and Black non-monogamy. Um, now, with Ma Bell, is it Black poly? I mean, the character is Black and she's poly and queer. Um, what I am noticing, and I'm, I'm just, try, I've been trying to dig and find depictions of like Black poly between all Black partners, right? Whether queer, where it's, you know, a guy and, you know, a black women, two black men or two black, you know what I mean? Like, it, it I do feel that there is, cert- that there's this uh, representation, because we saw this, funny enough, we saw this in, when we started to get more depictions of black queer characters, they tended to have white partners, right? Usually in movies and TV, if you saw a black, it was to the point where I could just, I could just pretty much predict. If I saw a black gay male character, I was like, oh boy, his boyfriend is white, but it was a white guy. And I was like, wow. Okay. So then it was, it became this thing where even a black lesbian, her lover was white. And so it became this idea that queerness for black people had to be tied to whiteness in some way. Right. And I'm not saying you can't, as a black queer person, you can't be in an interracial relationship. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, as far as the depictions, it was, it, it was hard to find, two Black lesbians or two Black gay men or, you know, a Black trans woman. and You know what I mean? Like, it was, you had to really dig for it. I think we're starting to see it now with Pose. Pose, I'm so sad it's gone now. But I think now that it's like you said, we're, because we have more creatives, more Black creatives in the game, they're like, no, there's actually Black gay couples. I have a friend of mine, Kirk Moore, he's a writer and producer in Hollywood, and I think they they do they're doing a reboot of the proud family and just quickly uh uh the actor uh, Billy Porter is, is voicing this black gay man in the proud family reunion and his husband is a white Jewish man, big white guy, or what I, he's not Jewish, but a white guy or whatever. Yeah. And Kirk was like, I'm so tired of this. He was like, I've been in Hollywood, I'm a black gay man. Kirk is gay, he's openly gay. He was like, What do we have to do? to find the representation of the life that I'm living. So he put a challenge out on Twitter a couple of months ago. He was like, if you're a black male gay couple, please post your pictures. Oh my God, Craig, that thing went viral. It was like, it was so beautiful to see. It was like wedding pictures, vacation pictures. And it's just like, why don't we see this? I mean, we had Noah's Ark and you know what I mean? But all to say that now that we're having these representation of black poly people, I'm beginning to see the same thing there where it's like if you're a black poly person or a non-monogamous person your partner is white and I'm like why
2: yeah <laughs> you know, know I mean? a, you know the, the kind of the supply demand stuff I you know I'm not in the movie business and you know mm-hmm. more about it than I do right um, I can imagine people would say you know well what are the stories that will sell and what are the stories that the mass you know gen pop will accept and understand and relate to and how can we like create this formula where like the Cheerios commercial, like everybody sees something in that commercial that like allows them to like want to go buy a box of Cheerios. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not smart enough to understand a psychology of like nudging and like, and, 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 and like, how do you target and micro target communities and, and, and buy, but I will say that the supply side, like those stories are there. The fact that people mm-hmm. posted all those pictures,
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: w- whether or not <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the film industry like sees a profit or, or sees like, you know, we could do, you know, whatever, 20 shows, you know, and, and, and like really make money on this um, is almost like not dependent of, it's not dependent upon, or rather I should say the supply, like it is like happening independent of like, you know, uh, people putting those images out there. But I will say that we are, I think maybe entering into a golden age um, for black film, like, you know, watching them and Underground Railroad and, uh-huh. and like, you know, my good friend's friend Saladin Patterson, who's doing the remake of The Wonder, Wonder Years. With Fred that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are now um, Black writers and producers and executive producers and actors and actresses who are now finding they have permission to tell stories that they didn't have permission to tell before,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, like we have per- permission to now introduced characters and now there's a whole wakanda you know what i mean it was one of the highest grossing movies and it's not about the traditional basketball player mm-hmm. you know um you know kind of savor savior relationship between kind of like the poor destitute black child in the hood who's saved by the way you know like we see yes. the scripts and, and, and all those the formats, time.
1: Mm-hmm. you know you
2: just take it off the shelf and like rinse and repeat and we kind of have a you know we know what kind of money we'll make now we're we are seeing an industry that's more comfortable well, let's tell a story that we haven't seen before mm. um, and let's introduce characters and let's introduce relationships that we haven't seen before. And to your point and to your rightful um, you know, frustration, we don't see enough of it. Mm-hmm. And we're certainly asking all the permutations that we need to to reflect the reality. Right. 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 Um, I, I, I do sense mm-hmm. th- that that we're starting to see more of it, um, certainly more than what you and I saw 20, 30, 40 years ago.
0: That's very true. Um but, a long but do you think Yeah. Do you think but I'm wondering if there's a connection there? Because okay, on one hand, we're I'm saying okay, we don't have enough depictions of like black poly couples or black poly polycules. But does that is, is that tied to the fact that we're in the black community? That's something they still don't want to talk about. Like that's still taboo. I mean, we're Real still talk. dealing yeah, like Real we're yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So, I mean, like, all right, so this is like you know we go sit around our kitchen table and we go have real talk right so okay. <laughs> I mean you, you know I, I do think in our community um, we have not even seen we're just getting to the place where we can see ourselves as like normal high functioning professional you know you know kind of human beings in society we're just now seeing ourselves as a president we're just now seeing ourselves you know like Claire and Bill Huxtable, that was like the first time we'd ever seen like in movies and and TV shows like this functional, healthy black family. Um, Mm -hmm. And we haven't really had a Cosby show since. I mean, we've had Blackish and we have some other ones that are really cool. But by and large, I think there's still a part of us that are trying to play catch up,
1: you know, yeah, I, I, and
2: I, I, you know, I don't know what it's like to be Italian American and be like another mafia movie. Really, do we have to see another <laughs> mafia? Can we please, please, support Italian being the president of the United States. I would imagine.
0: Wow, I, that's a good point. I've not, I have not seen that in the movies. I don't think we've so had. You, an you, Italian
2: you probably, you probably yeah. have not. You'd be like, please, yeah. John Travolta, can you not play another like, you know, that guy? Um, and, and so there's probably so, so so I think there are two things going on. One okay. is. We haven't had agency around our sexuality, around our imagery, like our storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think we're still trying to catch up and just like, in many ways, like establish some of like the, the basics. Yeah. Right. Like the, mm-hmm. the basics of, right. you know, um, in, in a distribution of like these personas show up in, in society. We've only like focused on like one thin slice. Mm-hmm. And I think there's kind of some pent up demand to just see some other broader images. That a lot of people can relate to, yeah. But that's not to say that, and therefore we should wait another thirty years before we see all of the other diversity in our neighbor in our community.
1: Mm-hmm. But I
2: do think that you know, and um, part of that, haven't not had agency over our faith, okay. over our bodies, over our sexuality. I mean, all of that stuff has always been kind of fed to us, and manipulated, and and either fetishized or monetized. And so I think people are hesitant. To, mm-hmm. to do things that seem to be risky and and, and this is stepping out of a, a norm. Um when, you know, I'm just now being viewed as norm mm-hmm. normal. Don't um, rock the boat. <laughs> but, yeah. And like, wait a minute now, you know, um and, and all of that's a fallacy. As you and I both yeah. know, that's all kind of fallacious in and thinking of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um but 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 we are also two a people who are pretty conservative, despite the way, you know, films depict us and and the way, you know, people imagine, you know, black people to be, you know, Mm -hmm. most, most of our families are pretty religious, even if you're not, or, um, you know, but we, we come up out of the church, we kind of come out of a a, kind of a certain sense of community and communal norms Mm -hmm. that have largely defined the African-American experience and largely been responsible for our survival. Mm -hmm. And so stepping outside of some of those norms sometimes can be really threatening when you have a conversation with someone about like, well, is that, you really think Jesus did that? That's (laughs) really unnerving. To someone to like even have an academic conversation about like who was
1: you yeah know, who, yeah
2: who might this you know nazarene you know palestinian jew been mm-hmm. you know two thousand years ago to you know like we don't so some of the things that we ought to be comfortable having a conversation about things we ought to feel like we have permission to like explore and create safe space in our community um i think we're still you know trying to get there um because i yeah. think in many ways being you know, kind of very rigid in our understanding and our definitions of ourselves and our sexualities in many ways, probably how we survived um, an environment of kind of chaos. Mm -hmm. But you know what, you know, it's time for us to kind of shed some of that, which is the vestiges of slavery and the vestiges of Jim Crow and all of the trauma that has really been inflicted on our people Mm -hmm. so that we can begin to see ourselves as a much you know, a diverse and broad and beautiful tapestry and mosaic of people who have very different experiences, different beliefs, different yeah. desires, different ambitions. You know, yeah. we don't all listen to the same music. We don't all like want the same things. We don't all want to live in, a, you know, in Atlanta. We don't all, you know, and it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And to this point on, you know, um, different types of relationships, black poly, you know, not everyone's going to want to be in a heteronormative monogamous relationship with 2.5 kids living in the suburbs. Mm. Like that's okay. And that's Mm. going to be fine for some people, but that's not going to make sense for others. And that's not going to be their authentic self. And we ought to create space so that we can start to like encourage people to not only pursue that, but if nothing else, make sure you're not doing anything to make space unsafe for someone else who does. And Mm. that's something we need to do in our community is we need to like Be able to talk about this and talk about your sexuality, talk about your experiences, talk about your desires and not be attacked for it. And then, sure, when we have the opportunity to tell these stories on Main Street Mm -hmm. and on the mainstream, you know, uh, main screen, we ought to be able to go support that and demand that we see those stories because that's part of us.